didn't surprise me. For years I'd been seeing it in people's eyes, hearing it in their voices, sensing the disparagement it implied. You're not a great beauty, despite the complexion that has made you vain. Your hair was thick and auburn before it began to gray, and your eyes blue, but not so thick and auburn or so blue as to cause a stir. Eleanor had masses of hair that went from red to gold, depending on the light, and her eyes were the color of a robin's egg and just as defenseless. Years ago, some man, not Franklin, that wasn't Franklin's style, had compared my voice to dark velvet, and people said I dressed well, considering that I'd had no money when I was young and other constraints later. But with all due regard to Richard Strauss and perhaps Verdi, men do not fall in love with a voice, and only other women and French couturiers care about a woman's clothing. I could make him laugh, but many people could do that. Certainly I was no great wit. According to my friend Elizabeth Shumatov, who was painting his portrait that day at Warm Springs and can't resist telling anyone who asks about it, and some who have the discretion not to, I'm not even very bright. Poor Elizabeth. I never guessed she was so eager for the spotlight. So perhaps she's right. Perhaps I'm not very bright. That only brings me back to the question. What was my secret, they want to know? What special charm did I possess? What tricks did I have up my sleeve? What wiles did I use to attract the greatest man of our time and hold him until he died, not in my arms, as gossip has it, but close enough? Even my sister, whose resentment I'd never suspected until that moment, couldn't resist asking. She was twisting her wedding band around her finger as she spoke. What was your secret? The child weaving toward us took a tumble, and I was out of the wrought iron chair and across the lawn in seconds. I had no intention of answering Violetta. The reply would only make her more angry. I'd invited her to stay as long as she wanted. I'd tried to make it sound as if we were two girls together again, though we both knew we were two women alone. There was another reason I didn't answer Violetta. She wouldn't believe me. No one would. The secret was too simple. It was so simple that sometimes I couldn't help hugging it to me with greedy pleasure, like a miser hoarding gold. But there were other times, even after all these years, when I saw things differently. Then the question was not how I'd held him, but how I'd lost him. There were the letters, of course, but the letters were merely the excuse. How many had there been? A dozen? Fifteen? Twenty? A handful, literally, enough to fill the span between thumb and fingers as Eleanor lifted them from the overseas bag. When I'd posted them, one after another, they'd been white with hope. But I imagined them as they must have looked when she took them from the suitcase, tied with one of the velvet ribbons I'd worn around my throat in those days, spattered with mud, waffled by rain, and crushed from being shoved into his bag among the heavy woolen uniforms and sinus medications and dozens of other letters from his mother and his children and his wife. He threw away nothing. He'd been foolish to carry them that way, tied in a ribbon that sent a message as clearly as one of his Navy signal flags, though I would have hated it if he'd tossed them into his suitcase with all the other letters. Still, what had he been thinking— to pack them where anyone could find them. I know what the psychiatrists would say. I may be a vain old lady, I may not be a mental giant, 
but I am not an antiquated ninny. I'm familiar with the theories of Dr. Freud. I've heard the younger generation talk. They would say that Franklin wanted the letters to be found. The idea is ludicrous. Franklin had no desire to be caught. He was simply sure of his own invincibility. He was convinced there was nothing in the world he couldn't do. Certainly he never dreamed he wouldn't be able to walk off a ship on his own legs and unpack a bag with his own hands. Eleanor unpacked for him. The bottom dropped out of my own particular world, she told one friend and then another, and the friends told their friends. Elizabeth Shumatov is not the only one eager for the spotlight. But as the world knows, Eleanor went on. She had supporters who closed ranks around her. She had children to raise. She had a husband to find her way back to. I can forgive but not forget, she also told friends. Eleanor always did have a penchant for undressing in public. My position was more precarious. I had no husband, no children, no army of supporters eager to circle the wagons around me. I'd had the hope of those things, and I'd thrown it away. Perhaps that's the real question. Not how did I hold him or lose him, but how did I find the courage or the audacity or the sheer recklessness to risk him? It's hard to understand from this vantage point how much of a chance I was taking. We live in a different world, built on broken rules, crowded with giddy inventions, dedicated to unstoppable progress. I see young girls racing around in short skirts and long trousers, and boys speeding after them in fast cars, and couples carrying on in public as we would not have dared in private, and I'm happy for them. But we inhabited a universe bound by convention and stalked by consequence. When we were told that a lady did not take a chair a gentleman had just vacated for fear the upholstery retained some of his heat, we gave the recently emptied seat a wide berth. When we were told a kiss might lead to pregnancy, we turned our faces away from temptation. Thanks to Vio's nursing studies, I was fairly sure a man's body warmth was not contagious, and a kiss did not lead directly to motherhood. But I could not get over the suspicion that both acts, and a good many others, were bound to end in some form of disaster or damnation. Bio and I had to be doubly careful. A man might marry a tarnished heiress. An exemplary man, the kind I wanted, might marry a young lady whose parents had been imprudent enough to squander their fortune. But who would marry a girl with feckless parents and a frayed reputation? Marriage, of course, was what I was after. That was what love was about. I burned to yield to a man, but one who belonged to me. I was made for happiness, not sacrifice. That is why I cannot understand where I found the courage to do what I did. Guts, the boys coming home from the war call it. The girl who risked the only future she could imagine is a stranger to me now. I look at the old photographs and recognize the face she wore, but I can't feel her pulse. I remember the handful of good evening dresses she rotated, but I can't hear the hope that rustled in the silk as she dressed for dinner. I recall the first time she danced with him, but the hair on the back of my neck doesn't stand on end as it did on hers when she saw him coming toward her across the ballroom. 
that girl with nerves running too close to her skin and senses rubbed raw by expectation is a stranger to the woman I have become. But sometimes, when I'm not thinking about that girl at all, when I'm reading a book or sitting in the garden or worrying about Violetta, the book and the garden and my sister fall away, and for a moment so ephemeral it is gone almost before I am conscious of it and I am left with only the ache of another loss, that girl steals up and slips into me, and I know what it was like before the bottom dropped out of Eleanor's particular world and mine. 1914 Chapter 1 Lucy was gay, smiling, and relaxed, with a rich contralto voice, femininely gentle, where Mother had something of a schoolmarm's air about her, outgoing where Mother was an introvert. Though she was a paid employee, she was listed in the social register in New York, as well as in Washington, a lady to her fingertips. Elliot Roosevelt, An Untold Story the sky stretched over the city, gray and menacing as a battleship, though that is not the analogy I would have made that afternoon. The war was months in the future. A generation of men who would die in disillusion still believed in God and country. A generation of women still acquiesced to men. Children obeyed parents. Everyone deferred to his betters. Everyone believed there was such a thing as betters. Archduke Francis Ferdinand was still alive. True, an obscure Serbian nationalist was dreaming of assassination, but dozens, perhaps hundreds, of unhappy young men were hallucinating self-sacrifice and glory, and most of them...